All right, let's open our Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter 12. And uh, we're going to continue uh, here as we pick it up in, in chapter 10, or in verse 10. I kind of want to set this up for you, though, before we get into it. Um, because we've been talking, of course, the last time, as we started into chapter 12, you know, the writer seemed to shift. You know, he, he went from this, you know, it, this exaltation of, of all that Jesus has done for us to like this analogy of training up. You know, at first it was running the race, then it was to train up a child. And we kind of discussed that in depth uh, last time. And of course, we were talking about how God does that and how chastening and really uh, what that looks like as far as God's concern with us and how the Lord allows our own iniquities to chasten us and to, and to correct us. We pick it up here in, in verse 10, and he says, For verily, for they verily, that is our fathers who, who chasten us, for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now God's chastening is always superior to man's. It just always is. The writer of Hebrews tells us that our earthly fathers chastened us according to their own pleasure. That is if we receive chastening at all, because really, when you look around today, you don't see a lot of correction when it comes to children. You really don't. And thus, the, church, the schools are, you know, rampant with violence, and, and we see things that, uh, you know, we never thought we'd ever see. And, uh, and unfortunately, some of that's even uh, in the body of Christ. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But they did it to, you know, for their benefit. That is, you know, it was for their pleasure, he says, that, that they correct us. And we were subjected unto them. The problem with human correction is that our fathers could never see ahead. They couldn't see ahead as to what type of children that they were training up. Because that's what the word chastise means, gang. In the, in the Greek, it means to train up. It means to tutor is what it really means. It's not hard. It's, it's really pretty simple. So in Proverbs 22, verse 6, you can write it down. I'm just going to read it for you. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, most of us know this verse, and most of us quote it, and it in, in discussing child uh, rearing. But I want to remind you that this is an absolute fact. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. That could be good or bad. That can be good or bad. So much of the fruit that we see today in children is bad. I hate to say it, the, the training, the fruit of that. Look at the, look at the amount of disrespect that we see being now, uh, being inflicted just on people alone. But now, even to our country, to our flag, to, anything, to where high schools and all these students are following suit of all these knuckleheads and knowing nothing, just following along, you know, just going along, having never been taught anything, evidently, by their parents. It's going to be a little tough subject tonight, gang, because I really want to look at this issue. It's dear to me. You know, every time we get to the issue of training up children, I'm going to drive it home. I want to make sure that we get that. Because the church today, and I'm talking about the church in general, at large, is inundated with problems because of the way that our children have been raised and who raised them. 
We did. We did. And the admonition here in Proverbs 22 is so clear. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. It even goes further into the New Testament. For those of who are listening who maybe think they can disregard what the Old Testament says, let me give you a New Testament verse. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Great verse. Most Christian parents have no idea, though, what it even is to provoke your children to wrath. I've said in many, many studies and, and, and covered this verse many times with, with many groups and over the 30 years plus I've been teaching. And I've had people come up to me over and over again. Well, what does it mean, really, to provoke a child to wrath? I mean, does it mean just, like, you know, poking him or making him, you know, getting him mad and tormenting him? No, not really. It's really, it, once again, it, the, the explanation is so simple. You could provoke your children to wrath when you try to inflict rules without relationship. And you can write this down. Get this mantra, if you want to call it that, in, in your head. Rules without relationship always breed rebellion. It always does. It's clear. Now, the fact is, is there are no perfect parents. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. There's no perfect parents. There isn't a person who's ever had children. And I've had plenty of them. I've got lots of grandkids. And none of, nobody's perfect in that. That is, we're not flawless and our kids and our grandchildren know we're not flawless. We've all made our mistakes. If you have children now growing up in your household, it's inevitable that you're going to make them too. You will. The way to ensure good relationship though with your children is to be honest with them. So often, parents are not honest with their children. I, I, I grew up in an old-school home, you know. I mean, here very soon, I'll be turning 58 years old, and I'm fifth to the youngest. So I've got very, you know, much, much older, really ancient older brothers, and I hope they're listening. And, you know, but we, we kind of grew up in the old school, and my dad, you know, uh, was from the 20s. But he kind of had this, this thing where it was do as I say, not as I do. And what did we do? Well, we did exactly what he did. We watched him. We followed in his footsteps. And we all do it. One of the things you're going to notice when you see in Scripture, when you start really studying, and as we go through, I'm going to point this stuff out to you, especially in the Old Testament, that you'll see that children always rebel in one or two directions. They will. They'll either, they'll either be twice the knucklehead that you are, or they will try to be so much better than you are. They will, they will be, you know, super good at whatever, or maybe become legalistic. Or you're going to have people like Manasseh, who will follow the example of his father, and takes it to a whole nother level, which is not good. You're going to find that that's absolutely fact, and we've all done it. You know, regardless of the size of your family or how many brothers or sisters you have, you, you can probably look at your own family and see how certain, you know, members of that family has reacted to their rearing, even though you were in the same household. I've always found this to be interesting. Because guys, I, I've always been a student of people, and I, and I love watching and learning from them. I hate seeing what happens sometimes, but it's very interesting to me, and it gives me insight 
as far as when I, when I turn to the scriptures and see what God has to say, it helps me to see it more clearly. And that's really why I wanted to talk more in depth about this one particular verse here, dealing with the issue of rearing children. Our fathers trained us up according to their pleasure. I think our children most of the time wants us, you know, most of our kids know we're not flawless. They know you're not flawless. They know you're really not Superman, Dad. They, they really do know that. Even though they look at you that way, they really know you're not. What they expect you to be is honest. You know, my father, and God rest his soul, had another little thing he liked to go by. And here's what he used to tell us. I might not always be right, but I ain't never wrong. <laughs> and he meant it. He meant that. And, you know, we took that as an absolute. I mean, dad was not always right, but he's never wrong. Because you couldn't challenge him on anything that he said, not without feeling the wrath of it. You wouldn't dare question anything he said, even though you knew it wasn't correct. And that's not a good trait. That's not a good trait. Even in my own life, as I began to have children, you know, early, early, early on, more than one time before I knew the Lord, I could open my mouth and I heard my father come out of me. Even though I swore up and down, I would never be like him. In fact, I was just like him in so many ways until I come to know the Lord and then God opened my eyes to these things. And I'm not saying everything about my dad was bad. You know, I hope I emulated some of the good stuff. My dad was a very intelligent man, self-educated, highly self-educated, respected. Those type of things. Had good knowledge, good reasoning. You know, I'm hoping I got that too. But I also picked up a lot, a lot of the stuff that wasn't good, as we all have. <coughs> Pardon me. So, when you're dealing with your kids, if you make, you know, provoking them to anger, if you make a judgment call with them, which we've all done, we've, if you've raised kids at all, you've had to make a judgment call at one time or another, and they didn't like it. But maybe you were wrong. I, maybe, maybe I'm the only one that ever did this. I made a judgment call one time that affected my son. And, uh, and I was right, by golly. I was right. Got a little loud about it, you know, standing my ground, you know, and even though he's like, was six foot way over top of me, I mean, it was like, I brought you in this world, you know what'll happen if you try anything. You know what I'm saying? I'll take you out. And uh, so I had to fear of me and him for a little bit. But you know, I made this judgment call and came to find, come to find out I was wrong. And I had really taken a hard line stand on it. And I found myself debating on whether I should apologize. You know, and I was, it was still fairly young and, and uh, you know, had never had to deal with that situation before. But I thought, you know what? I need to. I sat him down and I said, look, you know, here's what happened. Here's the way I saw it. And, of course, uh, I remember at the time he said, well, I tried to tell you. I said, yeah, I know. But when I think I'm right, I'm right. You know, and, and, and but you know what? Let me, and here's what I pointed out to him. I said, but let me tell you one thing. I said, I might take a stand. But here's what I want you to know about me as your dad. I will always listen to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes in and tells me, you're wrong, you're wrong, I will admit it. It might take me a day. It might take me a while to come around, but I, I will admit it, you know. And a lot of things can be said about Doug Copen, but failing to admit that he's, you know, been wrong is not one of them. I, I, I'm more than willing to do that if it's proven to me, but especially to our children. And some, some people are just, they won't do it. And so they provoke their children to wrath because they have very little relationship with them. And relationship or rules without relationship always breeds rebellion. You know, children aren't stupid, gang. 
And sometimes we think, yeah, we bring them into this world. And even little children are not dumb. They're not dumb. One thing that your children have a very, are very perceptive of, and that is hypocrisy. I know I was. Now, you know, I love my parents, and I want you to understand this. And I'm talking stuff that happened, you know, 50 years ago, a long time ago. But I remember, you know, hearing about Jesus and, 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 and watching my father who would sit and read his Bible only to hear the Lord's name uh, most of the time being connected with curse words. Do you understand what I'm saying? There was a confusion in my house. It was confusing to me. And for those of you who've read my book, you know I had a friend who I played guitar with whose mother was on fire for the little Pentecostal lady, was just always on fire for the Lord. And yet when she talked about the Lord, it was different. Her relationship was so evident to me. And I was only, you know, 13 years old. I heard it a lot at home, but I didn't see it. I heard it a lot out of Della, and I saw it. Even though the rest of her family really was pretty, you know, not Della. Della was on fire for the Lord. And her actions spoke of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it was really Della was the one who took me to that first tent revival and really encouraged me to give my life to Christ, which I did, even at 13. That doesn't mean that my parents weren't influential on me. They were. But kids aren't stupid, gang. That's what I want you to see. You know, we're talking about training up your child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't matter if every time the church doors are open, you're sitting here and your kids are with you. It really doesn't. What's, what's going to make the biggest influence on your children are you. You're going to have the biggest influence on them. Now, I'm not belittling or minimizing in any way the influence that the world is going to have. The world will have it. I mean, if you have your kids in public school, which I'm not an advocate of, but if you do it, you know, the Lord bless you, just be involved. Here's what I, you know, here's what I would tell you. You're allowing people to have your children. I mean, how many hours are kids in school today? Eight? good portion of it. You're allowing people, and my wife is a retired school teacher, did it for high school for years, so we, we've researched this. We know the kind of people that are in those public schools teaching our kids. Are they going to have an influence? Well, they can if you don't have one on them. Okay, if, if your kids, if you have a great relationship with your children, this is what I'm trying to get you to see, and you are raising them up in the love and admonition of the Lord, you're going to armor those kids as they go into that public arena. And the influence that the world's going to have on them, it's still going to be there. They're, they're still going to have to stand or fall in Jesus, but it's going to be minimal. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to arm them against that. I didn't have that. And maybe, uh, maybe you did, but I, I didn't. What I had from my own childhood, and, I, and I'm not criticizing my parents, I'm just giving you an illustration from my own experience. It just wasn't good just wasn't good because it was confusing to me. I, I, I saw one thing, but I heard another, and vice versa, you know. So that's, that's not good. So often, we think that our kids are picking up very little. I heard uh, Gail Irwin, and maybe you know him, maybe you don't, but Gail was a great speaker and had been a pastor for years, and I'll never forget him teaching on this very subject, and, and he was actually at a, a men's conference that we were throwing at Calvary Chapel. And he stood up there and 
you know, uh, Gail's kind of got a big belly. He's kind of known for having suspenders. And he's an old man, but he's a great speaker. And he sat there, and he always puts his thumbs in his holes where his suspenders are connected to, you know. And he said one day he was sitting there, and he was talking to his wife, and he looked down, and his, gra his grandson was standing there next to him. And all of a sudden, he looked down, and his grandson had both thumbs in the holes, and his grandson was actually trying to pooch his belly out to match grandpa's, you know what I mean? So he could stand like him. His illustration is right along the lines of what we're talking about tonight. Our children, our grandchildren, if you have great access to them, <clears throat> they're going to emulate you guys. They're going to. There's no way around it. If you want to see, this is something that the Lord has opened my eyes to over the last probably 10 years. And in dealing with this issue, uh, one thing that I, I couldn't believe that God really opened my eyes to was the problem that is within the body of Christ uh, with the issue of immorality in the church. I'm not talking about in the world. In the church. I had an assistant pastor one time. And I won't mention any churches who had been a part of a big Pentecostal church. And I remember me and him having a discussion on this very uh, means. And because I, I, I couldn't conceive of anything. And I made a comment, you know, that at least, you know, at least we're safe, you know, in the confines. And he went, are, are you kidding, brother? You know? I says, well, you know, I mean, uh, we got the word of God. And we're, he goes, let me tell you some stories about where I came from. And he began to talk about this fellowship, which is still there to this day. And the ungodliness that went on. I mean, I even told him, I says, my gosh, brother, this place sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah. He was part of the inner circle, and he talked about stuff that went on in the offices. And, and you're going, whoa. And you know what the scary part about it? This is, this is being done by people who think you can lose your salvation. And I said, evidently, they don't believe that, right? Because they're, they're living like, like somehow it's not, you know, the word of God is of no effect to them. We hear that stuff and we so often want to blame it on the world. We want to say, well, you know, once again, the world's come in. And, I, and no doubt, once again, like I said, you know, the Bible's very clear that evil communications corrupt good manners. It can have an effect. There's no doubt about that. But if we as Christian parents would explain train up our children in the love and admonition of the Lord, we will not only show them what's right, we will be training them to do what's right. Now, once again, there's nobody who pounds the, the doctrine of grace more than I do. But when it comes to this issue, we wonder why the church in America is so stifled. I'm telling you, this is a great problem in the body of Christ. This isn't in my notes. I'm going to throw it in for free, even though some of you might not like it, especially those listening by radio. One of the things I have found is within older people, and believe me, I've ministered to many, many, many people much older than I am. And I know according to some of the young people that listen to me, I'm an old man as it is, but I, I've ministered to people much older than me. And I've seen more people sitting in the church, elderly people, living in adulterous fornicative situations than I ever saw any other people. Only to see them justify it. I've called many of them out on this. I'm going, you're doing what? 
Well, yeah, well, well we're, we're living together, you know, and this is a, you know, and uh, it's a financial thing. It's a what? What did you, what did you just say? It's a financial, well, I'll lose my Medicaid. I'll lose my, what, you think you're special? You think the word of God, you think the law of reciprocity has no effect on you? Are you crazy? You bring that garbage into the body of Christ and you contaminate everybody around you. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. But it's not just elderly people, guys. Our teenagers, our preteens. I did a show seven years ago, and I'll never forget it because this was when sexting, we all know what that is now, had just become kind of the thing. And I had a, a professor on my show who had done a, a great study. We were talking about kids uh, 10 and 11 years old sending explicit stuff, you know. And their parents, of course, who bought them the phones? Who bought them the phones? Their parents. Did you, am I the only guy that, that never had a cell phone until he was in his 30s because they didn't exist? You know, the fact is we got along pretty good without them, didn't we? And look at all the trouble it has cost. <laughs> we even got Congressman Weiner who can't stay out of trouble with one. He can't stay out of trouble. He needs to just get, isn't it interesting? No, what's the Lord say? If that right hand offended, what? Cut it off. Cut it off. We won't do it. We won't do it. As parents, we won't do it. We want to give our kids every ability and every advantage. I questioned the advantage years ago. This was, uh, I think, would have been around 96, 97. I was attending a conference, a pastor's conference out in, in Murrieta. Keep it in mind, we had just gotten our, uh, I had basically just gotten online. I had no idea. I really was an internet, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, novice. I was so ignorant of things. Uh, my one assistant pastor, uh, Todd, who was a very young man, very, very brilliant young man, a physicist by trade, and, uh, but he was savvy in the ways of the Internet. And I remember when I was telling him, I was kind of excited we were going to be plugging in the, the computer and was going to have Internet in the house. He went, uh, yeah, you might want to be careful with that. You, know, you got kids, right? And I said, well, yeah, what do you mean? You might want to be careful with that. And what do you mean? I mean, I really had no idea. And he's going, well, there's a lot of, all the garbage on there, you know, brother. And he went on telling me about all the stuff that was, and I said, no. What? They, what? Why would they do that? I mean, I was really naive. I was really naive. Jump ahead, I think it was like two years. I'm at this pastor's conference. And all these pastors out there, you know, of my same denomination, it was Calvary Chapel, we were all of like mind brethren standing out discussing the deeper things of the Lord together before we went in and drank our coffee. And the subject came around to the end. And one, one pastor began to think, he goes, yeah, he says, man, we got our new website up, you know. And he goes, and it's, you know, we're doing all this, we're doing that. And, I, and, he, and he looked at me, and, and I'm sure that I was kind of grimacing. And he said, uh, what's the matter, brother? And I said, well, I, you know, I said, I'm coming to the conclusion. I don't know how I feel about it. He goes, feel about what? I said, well, we have a website, you know, and uh, yeah, it's doing, yeah, you can download my messages there, and you know, there's studies, it, it seems okay. And he goes, well, what's the problem? I said, I can't get James out of my mind. I can't get the Bible out of my mind. 
James says, how can you get salt water and fresh water from the same spigot? I said, I know that there's people, brother, who are sitting on there downloading my messages, and within the space of one click, they can have the most diabolical and evil debauchery that man has ever created. Like that. At their fingertips. How do I, I, I it's hard for me, even to this day, to reconcile that. I, I don't try now. I just leave it up to the Lord. Because I think, you know what, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I want people to hear the message of grace, but I have to admit, the influence. Satan's not stupid. Our kids are not stupid. They're being trained up, gang. Sometimes it's a vicious circle. A vicious circle. The reason many Christians' parents fail miserably in this area, in training up their children in the love and admonition of the Lord, is that they themselves are ignorant of the word of God. If you remember last time, I mentioned Japheth. Remember when Paul gave us the listing there in chapter 11, he, was named, he names Japheth. And I kind of paused and I kind of just threw it in for free. I said, you know, Japheth is a great illustration of a man who didn't know the law. He didn't know the law. Why? Because he made a promise, you know, that if God would save him out of the battle, that he would sacrifice the first thing that came out of his house. Well, it happened to be his daughter. Now, there's all kinds of theologians that want to tell you, well, you know, actually what happened, we believe, is that he allowed her to be a virgin. No, as you go back and read it, there's a Jew worth his salt out there that doesn't take that for what it says. Japheth did the unthinkable, something that God would never require. Why? Because he didn't know the Word of God. Because had he known the Word of God, he would have known that there is a sacrifice to alleviate uh, the problem of making a vow to God that you can't keep. And really, had he realized, you don't make vows to God in the first place. Which is reiterated also in the New Testament. James says, swear not. Neither by heaven, nor by earth, nor by any other. Let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay. So he didn't know the word. And Christian parents so often don't know the word. They don't know it. Oh, they're coming to church, gang. They're coming to church, and they can recite the Sunday school verses. But they don't know the word. It's not in here hasn't migrated from here to here. So their parenting skills are really based upon what? What they have learned themselves from their own parents, be that bad or good. Paul says, our own fathers chastened us according. They trained us according to their own pleasure. In Numbers 14, 18, it says, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. There's an interesting teaching in Christendom today. They call it generational cursing. And what they believe, and of course it really has no basis in biblical truth, it really doesn't. But what they believe is that Certain particular types of sins tend to run in families because they have this, you know, spirit of whatever, you know, uh, a demon of whatever, you know, f flowing through the family. And you'll see these guys trying to cast demons out of Christians, and it's totally unbiblical. But I understand why they believe it. I understand why they believe it. I understand why they believe it because they see families that seem to be doing the same type of sins over and over again, even in the church. Seems to happen over and over again. I told a guy one time when we were talking about this issue, I said, well, it's not generational cursing, my friend. It's generational stupidity. 
What's the difference between being ignorant and stupid? Ignorant means you don't know. Ignorance is fixed with knowledge. It's like that. Now, stupidity means you know and you did it anyway. Even in the book of James, a half-brother Jesus said, He that knoweth to do good and does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. So if you know to do right and you don't do it, you're a sinner. You're stupid. Why would you do that? But I understand where they get this, and they, they really move through it. In the archives of my uh, studies and counseling over the years, came across a, an interesting case, if you will. And this woman had come to me and, and had been suffering from some things, and, and through the discussions that I began to have with her, I realized that she was suffering from some pretty, uh, pretty deep problems, you know, sexual issues. And, and I said, and of course I realized just, you know, and I, and I, and I said to her at the time, I said, can I ask you a, a, an honest question? Will you answer it honestly? So at least if you want biblical advice, I can point you. And she said, sure. I said, how long have you been involved in pornography? I never. I said, no, seriously. Seriously. How long have you been involved in pornography? You see, what she didn't know was over my years, I mean, counseling in, in this area has probably been the most, um, I've probably counseled more in this area uh, especially with men, than any other area that I've had to counsel. And all I was doing was, was going back and looking at the typical. And, and what she was explaining to me was typical of a person who had been exposed to enormous amounts of pornography. And yet she said she had never, never experienced it, had never looked at it. Oh, wow. In the course of the conversation, I was told that her parents, that she was raised in a Christian home. Her... Uh, her father was a seemingly a godly man. Her mother was a saint. Her exact words at the time. And yet over the course of time, as I kept trying to help her with, through the Bible, work through it, I remember her beginning to tell me a story. And when I heard it, I, I remember just sitting back and, 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 and really just being in shock, to be honest with you, because I had never heard such craziness going on in a family in my life, not in a Christian family. I said, really? And it just dawned on me, and I pointed out to her, I said, do you realize that when I asked you a few months ago, had you ever been involved with pornography? You said no. But what the story she told me was like, I said, oh my gosh. Here was a woman who, who had been involved in a family since she was a kid, whose family, Christians, these are people who sit in church, whose family had basically, her father had walked around nude in front of her all of her life crazy. Stuff that I couldn't even hardly grasp and get my fingers around. So when we look at this issue of, of, of trying to come to the reason why there's so much craziness that goes on in the body of Christ with children, with young people, and even older people, we begin to see. See, in, in what I came to find out was that this family thought that this was normal. This behavior was normal. Not normal. We know through psychology, and I'm not a big proponent of it, but God knows I've studied it more than I care for. This type of behavior is what we call covert incest. Not to be confused with overt incest. There's a vast difference between the two. Overt incest is people, as Leviticus 18, 1 through 26 talks about, you know, not just being, seeing each other naked, but absolutely engaging in, that's covert, that's overt. Covert's a whole lot subtler. 
You know, it's, and this is the way Satan operates. I mean, it's subtle. Because there's many people today who justify this type of immorality uh, by simply saying, well, you know, I, my parents did. And they're still sitting in the church. When you go back and read, and I want you to go back and read Leviticus 18, 1 through 26. What the Lord is talking about in that chapter is the issue of nakedness between family members. Father and a daughter. Or, uh, you know, he says, you shall not be like the heathens. You shall not do this. You shall not uncover the nakedness. Now, there's been some who have tried to go to the extent of saying that what he's talking about here is actually engaging in sex. And that's not what he's saying at all. Even a cursory study of the scriptures, when you come to it, and one of the, one of the greatest illustrations of it, I think, is found in Genesis chapter 9, 22 through 27. When you look at the story of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And I'm just going to read it for you. It says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren uh, outside. Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backwards, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his younger son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan to serve a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord of, of God of Shem, and, and Canaan shall be his servant. And God shall enlarge Japheth and shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Once again, some have tried to make it out to be more than what it is. No, it's called disrespect. There's no, no, there was no respect. Ham disrespected his father. His father didn't even know what happened until his sons had told him. But it's, it's why, why would God put such a, 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 a stipulation on that? What's the problem with it? Well, it stirs up and can stir up in the minds of those who are engaged in it illicit thoughts that lead to other things. All you can do is look at the situation with David. What got David in trouble? Oh, that's right. He was up on the rooftop, and he saw. He saw. He looked, and he simply watched a woman taking a bath, and instead of turning away, he uncovered her nakedness to himself, and what happened? Next thing you know, and you know the story, and you know the outcome. But here's this family that I told you about. This father, and then come to find out, I guess, through the process of, of conversations, uh, they found out that his mother had actually been the same way around him. I guess he was an only child. And it, it, but passing down, you see what I'm saying? So even as he became a Christian, here's the point I want to make. Even as he became a Christian, because he saw this lascivious evil as normal, when he came to the Lord, and I don't doubt, really, his salvation. I really don't. But when he came to the Lord, he never confessed that his sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? He never even saw it as sin. Because it was portrayed to him as normal, he tried to portray it to his own kids as normal. Matter of fact, the lady that I was ministering to tried to defend him so vehemently at the time. Telling me that, no, 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 I was the one who was wrong. I said, really? At that time, I had a lot of police officers that used to listen to my show. So I got on my computer and I typed, and this one guy was a 30-some-year veteran and a detective. And I says, can I ask you a question and get your honest answer? I've got a case that I'm, I'm dealing with, the uh, counseling. I just need you to tell me something. He said, sure. I typed him out. 
I even let the woman, I said, read this, what I'm going to send him. Is this accurate? She said, yes, I hit send. Next day, he sends me an email. He says, well, I could tell you four felonies. This man should be locked up. This man should be, and he went right down the line. See, and I turned around. I said, here, read this to her. Read it. See, it's not me, gang. It's the word of God. But because it had been taught to her, this was a woman who was a Christian for years, but yet she had suffered greatly in her own life, making decisions that were based on what? The way she'd been raised. Train up a child the way she go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. She had been taught by her father there was nothing holy, nothing sacred, nothing private. And her whole life, she lived a life there was nothing sacred, nothing holy, nothing private. Your body is sacred. Your body is holy. Your body is private. We have all these young women and young men within the body of Christ who will go to these big rallies and they're cheering on the Lord and, and you know, praise the Lord for that. But what's their morality look like? Because the ones that I had to deal with, gang, I'm telling you, are sitting in pews. And their parents kind of laugh it off. I had a lady tell me, you know, it hasn't been that long ago that, you know, and, and she's a, a, a grandmother, I believe, and, you know, that her son and she, she or her grandson was off doing some stuff, you know, and how he was engaging and, you know, spending the night with his girlfriend like it was nothing. And I'm talking, these are Christian people. Like it was nothing. So grandparents, parents, we are training up our children. How are we allowing them to see you know, what it is that God thinks about morality. I remember asking that lady I told you about that I had ministered to. I said, well, didn't, didn't your father ever sit down? Well, no. All he would do is make jokes about immorality. He would joke about immorality. And he did it with his sons and, and around his own daughters. And the whole family was this way. They would talk about anything. It was nothing sacred, nothing holy, nothing private. And as a very young child, this girl wound up throwing away her virginity like it was a piece of paper off of a toy and just chucked it at the age of 15. And from that moment on, it was craziness given to it. Why? Because the way her father had raised her, her body was nothing sacred. It was nothing holy. It was nothing private. She had no self-worth. It's got nothing to do with self-esteem, gang. That's a psychology trap. But it has everything to do with self-worth. How much worth did she think she had? She thought she had none. And she was sitting in the church almost every Sunday. But this is what's happening within the body of Christ. This is why when we talk about the issue of training up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he will not depart from it. That can be good or bad. Our earthly fathers trained us up according to their pleasure. This is what Paul says. And this is true. And we gave them reverence. She gave him reverence. And did as she saw fit. I felt so bad for her. But what I realized at that time is as I began to research this subject that there's many, 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 many people. You know, not just women, but men too. And so often, think about this gang, so often even within families, women are belittled for that type of activity, but a boy is praised. A boy will be praised for by his dad as though that's something to, oh yeah, son. But it's totally unbiblical. It's totally ungodly. 
train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. As you go back there to Leviticus, you know, in chapter 18, you start reading. You get down to verse 27. And the Lord says, for all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled, that the land spew you not out also when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations which were before you. For whosoever shall commit these abominations, even that soul shall commit, that commits them shall be cut off from among his people. God calls it an abomination. Now, here's what I encouraged her to do. And I've encouraged many people who have found themselves, parents who have found themselves under. I said, you need to confront this. You need to call it what it is, get it out in the open. He that confesses and forsakes his sin will prosper. This is the scriptures, gang. I said, you need to talk to your parents. So she did. Uh which I guess, I, my understanding was that her mother at the time, it, it, you know, uh, was close to accepting that admonition and actually went through the scriptures with her and, and uh, was acknowledging the error of her way only until one of the other kids who also goes to the same church decided to tell her, uh, who was an elder in the church, decided to tell her that the Old Testament, we don't really have to, we don't have to look at that. It, it has no authority over us. And I, I remember at the time going, oh, dear Jesus. And, of course, she wound up being ostracized by the whole family. Why? Because their secret was out. You understand what I'm saying? Because now their sin was made manifest, which the Bible already declares will happen to any of us. But I can tell you, and I know her story, and, and the woman's been blessed by God because of it. You know, and, but within the body of Christ, I'm telling you, there's more cases of this than what we even care to even realize. But we never talk about it. We never talk about it. You never hear this stuff mentioned from the pulpit, gang. And I, I just think it's wrong. And when we come across these verses that talk about why should you be pure before the Lord? Don't just tell your kids, uh, you, just, you just don't do that. You just don't do that. Well, why? Rules without relationship breed rebellion. You want to see your kids? Start, yeah, explain it to them in a very negative way anything. Just say, hey, don't, don't do that. And what are they going to want to do? Gonna, it's the law effect, right? They're going to want to do it. But if you sit down and you go, let me explain to you something. Man, between a husband and wife, there is no more beautiful relationship than a sexual relationship. This is something God has created. We're actually getting to that verse in our next chapter. Marriage is honorable in all things and the bed undefiled. It's a beautiful thing, beautiful picture of Jesus Christ according to Ephesians 5. But when you take it outside of that context, you make it something dirty. Not only that, but you make yourself an adulterer. You make yourself an idolater, the Bible says. And you wind up defiling yourself. There's a reason for purity. There's a reason why God, he wants to spare you the trouble. To spare you the embarrassment. Because you know what? In Christ, one of these days, you're going to come across, if you're a young lady or a young man, God is going to bring you to that person, that one person that he really meant you to be with the whole time. Even though you might have went through two or three, I don't care what the story is. You're going to come to that one person. 
And you, it's that one person where you love them so much because God has put you together. You just want to pour your heart out to them and you want to tell them your story. But all of a sudden, you're going to feel stifled in doing that. Because if I tell them my whole story, will they stay? How embarrassing it is so often. And sometimes even marriages wind up with secrets in the closets that sometimes actually destroy marriages afterward. Why, why do that? Why do that? I, I, I remember years ago when, when we were in the small building, had this couple who had moved out from Indiana and uh, they were part of a larger group of college kids who were coming to the church because they were attending a local college. And this one couple, I'll never forget it, uh, her name was Sadie. I always called her Sadie Hawkins. And, uh, but her and, the, the, he was engaged, it was, they were engaged with this couple. And I'll never forget counseling him on, because on, I wasn't going to do the wedding, they were going to go back to their home church and be wedding, but I was still doing the counseling with them. And they had never kissed had never kissed. And I have to admit, at the time, I found it a little hard to believe. I, I, I didn't call the liar, but on the inside, I'm going, no, whatever, you know. I mean, I, have to, I questioned it. I really did. But the more I knew them, the more I was around them, you know, they had come from a very Bible teaching through the Bible, chapter by the type of an atmosphere, had very loving parents, and, and parents who would explain the reason for chastity and for purity and for keeping yourself pure. They explained it. It wasn't just a rule. Don't do, you do that. You better not. You don't do that because all you're going to do is breed rebellion. But, you know, when they got married, I, I thought it was so cool that that was the first man that she ever kissed. What a gift. Can you imagine that? Most of us can't imagine that. It was the first guy she ever kissed. And I pray on their behalf that it will be the last, you know. What a gift that would be. And yet we treat it in our society, not just our society gang, but even within the body of Christ. We've come to the point where we treat this as though it's just, oh, it's, it's, it, I don't know, it's like something you just want to get over or something. It's like, oh, it's precious. Absolutely precious. You are holy. You are absolutely sacred before God. And what you have is private until you are married. And you come together and God makes you one. Our fathers, they raised us up according to their own pleasure. Some of them did a better job than others. But we've learned from everything. But what we really learn from is the word of God. Train up a child in the love. Train them up in the love and admonition of the Lord. Don't just give them rules and regulations, gang. The, the Jews had that. And what did it breed? Rebellion. But as we grow in the love and admonition of the Lord, we see that, you know, when God tells us these things, when he shows us what morality really looks like, he's doing it for our betterment. I remember a kid heard me preach on this one time, got really mad. And he came up to me and he said, oh, Pastor Doug, you had your fun. And I says, before you throw that at me, son, you don't know my story. You don't know the scars that I have on my heart. How dare you? call sin fun in my life. I've experienced the hatred that it brings and, and, and the repercussions that it brings. Don't, don't do that to me. I said, what's wrong with being pure? What's wrong with not having a history? What's wrong with not having a past that's defiled? What's wrong with coming to a marriage bed 
in a perfectly pristine condition. What's wrong with that? Give me something wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's everything to be desired. And yet, we never talk about it. And our young kids, you know, they just, but gang, let that not be said of us. You know, those of us who are parents, let's, you know, mine are out of the house already. I did the best I could. I wasn't perfect. You know, you're not perfect. We're training them up. And let us train them up in the love and admonition of the Lord. And when it comes to this issue, let's teach them that they are absolutely sacred. Their bodies are holy. And their bodies are absolutely private, except in that great bond of matrimony, which God will give to them at that time when he brings them together with that one person that he's chosen for them. Train up a child in ways she should go. They will not depart from it. Let's make that a good thing. Amen? Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. And we just ask, Lord Father, that you would bless uh, your word, and we ask, Lord Father, that it would be received with grace. So we love you. We thank you. We just ask you to be with those sitting here, Lord Father, and those listening by radio, that you would be glorified through your word, and Jesus' name would be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.